0: Lord God, we want to hear your word, the word that you spoke through your son, the word that you speak to us through your scripture. We pray that you would come, Holy Spirit, open our eyes, open our ears, and I pray that you would bless the words of my mouth as I seek to communicate the hope that we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, welcome to St. Bartholomew's on this lovely, lovely Memorial Day weekend. So I hope you all have wonderful plans for tomorrow. You can sort of feel summer coming. It's like everybody's attitude changes. (laughs) Go to the grocery store, people are slightly happier. They're buying more beer for sure. I don't know if those are connected, but welcome this weekend. We're still in the church. We're still in the season of Easter. Um, Next week we'll have, we'll celebrate the Ascension and the week following that we'll celebrate Pentecost, but we're still in the season of Easter and we're still thinking about resurrection and God breathing new life into things and the difference that that makes for us. And with that in mind, I want to talk about um, this vision that John has of the new Jerusalem. And as a way to get into that, I want to ask you to imagine something. I want you to imagine that you fall asleep tonight and you have a very vivid dream. You're having the most intense, vivid dream that you've ever had. And in this dream, you're in a car and someone is giving you a tour of a city. And you're driving around the city and you notice that this is a city that is unlike any city you've been before. It's clean, there's no pollution, there's trees everywhere, people seem to be happy, there's lots of people walking, there seems to be no crime, no corruption, there's no people warring each other for resources, there's no bad neighborhoods, there's no bad commutes, everybody has access to everything that they want. You see in the city that it's full of wonderful things to do with your leisure time, wonderful parks, There's music, there's art, there's beautiful architecture everywhere. And as you look at the architecture, it's almost as if it came up out of the ground, that there's no opposition between the natural world and the built world. It just seems to be all of a piece. And you're having this amazing dream, and in the middle of this amazing dream, you realize that the city that you're in is Dallas. You don't know exactly how you know it's Dallas, but you know on some level that it is Dallas. There's some quality, some essential aspect Of this city that reminds you of the city in which you live, the city that we're in now. So you wake up and you're having breakfast, maybe with a family member, maybe with a friend, and you're trying to describe this dream. How do you do it? The two questions for us tonight that will help us get in this passage are Imagine that you had this dream. How would you know that that city was Dallas? What about all of the things that I just said (laughs) remind you of Dallas? how could it be the same city? But the other question is, how would you go about explaining that city to someone who'd never been there? Or how would you go about explaining that city to someone who'd only been in the Dallas that we have now? That's the same problem that John has in trying to describe to us the new Jerusalem. He's trying to describe something, some city that is in some way connected to the Jerusalem that was, but is something more. And he's also trying to give us a vision of something that we can't even dare to hope for. Remember that prayer we just prayed. Give us these desires. We don't even know what you have in store for us. Help us to see what you have in store for us. So John uses every resource that he has, every image, every biblical story, every biblical symbol, every metaphor, To he pulls on the whole storehouse of the biblical story to bring to mind, to put in front of our imaginations what this city is. Is like, And he uses these three main images. And that's what I want to talk about tonight. These three main images of the city of the New Jerusalem. And after I talk about those images, sort of ask the question, so what? So what if there's a city like that somewhere in the future? What difference does that make to us in this Dallas now? So to start, we start with the image of the bride. So if you have your bulletin, turn to page three. We'll start in verse nine. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues and spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. What we're about to see is the bride. But the next verse says that it's a city. Well, which is it, John? Is it a bride or is it a city? Well, the city is the bride. The bride is the city. And that's important for us because when we think of the bride, the union between bride and groom, the relationship between beloved and lover, this is one of the primary ways that the Bible has describing the relationship that God has with his people. And the relationship between a bride and a groom, the relationship between a beloved and a lover, is a face to face relationship. That's the meaning of the word adoration, is to be mouth to mouth. We are made to adore God, we are the bride. And a city is a place full of people, people who are in union with God. The union that the Bible imagines for us is the union between a bride and a groom. The second thing is is that this bride is Jerusalem. It says, He carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God excuse me, this is not a city that doesn't exist. This is a city that does exist. God doesn't wipe everything out and start from scratch. He takes what is and he renews it. He takes what is and he resurrects it. That's the Easter hope applied to not just us as individuals, not just to Jesus, but to all of creation and to God's people itself, that they would be renewed and raised up as Jerusalem will be. Jay reminded us last week that Jerusalem is the city that kills the prophets. Jerusalem is the city that crucified Jesus. Jerusalem is the city that for millennia has been waging religious war within its own walls. And yet that city, it can become the bride. That city can be renewed. That city can be our great hope. And our great hope is the same hope of the city, is that God doesn't wipe us out, and build new people, he takes who we are and renews us. He takes who we are and breathes life into us to raise us up. So what what was said last week in the reading from Revelation, behold, I make all things new. God in making all things new takes what is and breathes new life into it. He takes the Jerusalem that we know and he makes it a heavenly Jerusalem. He takes us as we know and he makes us into his bride. So the bride shows us the union between God and his people. The bride, as Jerusalem, shows us that God can take what is and raise it up. And the bride shows us that we are meant to be a beautiful people. You see in the description of the city that in verse 11, it says that the city has the glory of God and it is radiant. And there's the description of these jewels and the description of the walls and descriptions of the gates and the description of the foundations And it has all the characteristics of what we classically understand beauty to have. Beauty has wholeness, it has integrity. Beauty has harmony, it has proportion. Beauty has radiance, it has light. When all those things are together, you have something that is truly beautiful. And the city has all of those things. It is whole, it is harmonious. If you pull one element out of it, it doesn't work but it also has the glory of God, meaning it is filled with the light of God, the radiance of God. And notice how many times light images are used throughout these verses. Over and over and over again, there's a description of light. Because light is something that both illuminates and dazzles us. Sometimes light can be so bright that we can't see, but light is the only way that we can see anything. And there's this tension in the reality of light. And when there are mystical visions and Scripture and throughout the church history, you you see people talking about light because of that quality of light to both illuminate and to blind, to be so dazzling as to overwhelm, to be so splendorous that we can't totally grasp what it is, but we know that it is beautiful. And we know the same thing of the bride. The bride has that beauty, and the beauty that she has is the beauty of God. It says that she has the glory of God. So she is radiant, she has splendor, but she has it because God has given it to her. He has made her beautiful. He has made her radiant. He has made her glorious. And for us, that's our hope, is that we would be made beautiful and glorious by God. So the first primary image that John gives us is that the New Jerusalem is a bride. The second image that he gives us is that the New Jerusalem is a temple. Look at verse 22. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb. This would be an astonishing statement of any ancient city, that it had no temple. If it's a city, it has a temple. That's one of the main reasons you have a city, is a place of commerce, but also a place of worship. And John is saying, this city is different. It doesn't have a temple, it is a temple. Well, what does that mean? Why is it significant that the whole city is itself a temple? One of the ways that the, the city itself is described is as a cube. Its proportions are completely equal on all sides. It's a cube. In the Old Testament, the other thing that's described as a cube is the Holy of Holies in the temple In Solomon's temple, the Holy of Holies is a cube, meaning that where the very presence of God is, is within that space. What Revelation says is that all space is that space, that the whole city is the Holy of Holies. There's not an inner place, it's all that. So wherever you are in the city, it's like you were in the Holy of Holies in ancient Jerusalem, because God is everywhere. He's filling it with His light, He's filling it with His presence. And that is deeply significant because it means that whatever happens in the city is worship. What happens in a temple? Worship. If the whole city is a temple, then every activity, every act of commerce, everything that's created within that city, everything that that city is and everything that it can be or will be is an act of worship. And we see that in verse 24 when these kings come in. By its light, the light of God, the nations will walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. The kings of the earth will bring their glory into the city. The whole city is a temple. They bring in their work as an act of worship. This is a picture of all of the redeemed flooding into the city from every tribe, tongue, and nature, nature, nation. Nation. Coming into the holy city, and what they're bringing in, they bring in as an act of worship, and they offer it up to God in thanksgiving and praise. This is all the all that is true, all that is good, all that is beautiful, and all of human culture is resurrected and brought in to the to the heavenly city. So there's Bach there, and there's beautiful paintings, and there's beautiful architecture, and there's Great food, because that's one of the best things that cultures invent, is what they do with food and the different ways that they do that. And all of that is brought into the city, and all of that is worship. And that is so important for us, because we have this division in our minds between the sacred and the secular. And that what we do in here is worship, and what we do out there is something else, right? But if the vision of the heavenly city, of the people of God, is that everything is worship, then that's telling us something now that everything that we do and everything that we are is meant to be offered up to God as an act of praise and thanksgiving. So when you guys give your tithes and offerings and we pass the bucket and then it comes forward, we sing the doxology and Jay and I will take the offering, we'll lift it up to God. That's a picture of what your work is supposed to be because Those tithes and offerings, they represent your labor. They represent your work, right? What you've done as a teacher, what you've done as an accountant, what you've done as a mom, what you've done, everything in your life, it represents that work. And we lift it up to God symbolically to represent all of our labor in the hope that what we do with our time, what we do with our lives would be an act of worship because that's the way that it's meant to be, to live our lives completely in the presence of God with the hope and the expectation that everything that we do is lifted up to God in praise and thanksgiving. Our material giving, our giving of tithes and offerings is always just a picture of that, but it's why it's so important because it's representative of the whole. And if we aren't willing to give a portion to God to lift it up, then we are making that division between the sacred and the secular and saying, what we do in here. Is one thing, and what we do out there is something else, but it's not. It's all of a piece, and the vision of the heavenly city reminds us of that because it is a temple. So the heavenly city is a bride, the heavenly city is a temple, and the third piece of the puzzle is that the heavenly city is a garden. Look at verse 1 of chapter 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal. There's light again. Flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city and on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Eden was a place with a river. Eden was a place with a tree of life. This is not just Eden, it's more. Sometimes we think that the whole point of the redemption is to get us back to Eden. It's not. Where God is taking us is an escalation. It's a transposition. It's a transfiguration. Eden was even itself just a picture of where God's taking us. There's not just a, a tree of life here. There is a species of tree called tree of life. Here's what I mean. If you were, if you didn't happen to know what trees those were right there, and you were walking and said, "Hey, these are great trees," and you would say, "Yes, these are oak trees." Well, if you were sailing down this river and you saw these banks lined, you'd say, "What kind of trees are these?" Well, these are tree of life trees. And how are they? How do we know that they're tree of life trees? Because they bear fruit that is for the healing of the nations, and they. There is never a season, there is never a time, there is never a month where there is not fruit to eat of those trees. There is no off-season. You can always eat from these trees. This city is a garden. We have a tendency to oppose the sacred and the secular. We also have a tendency to oppose the urban and the rural, the natural and the built. It's all of a piece in the temple, garden, bride city, of new Jerusalem it's like the city comes up out of the ground it's not that here's the garden over here and here's the city it's all the same thing in the garden there is a river of life in the garden there is a tree of life and in verse 3 we hear this very clear echo no longer will there be anything accursed what happened in the garden when man and woman Sinned and rebelled against God, there was a curse. And redemption has been the undoing of that curse. And in this heavenly city, there is no curse. There is only blessing. There is only abundance. There is only life. And how do we know? Because what is possible in that city is not possible anywhere else. They will see his face, it says. Remember the bride and the lover were meant to be face to face with adoration, mouth to mouth. They will see his face. In the garden, Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. They were face to face with him. And in the course of the biblical story, people have tried to see God, but they can't see God. No one can see God and live. No one has seen the Father. But in this garden city, In this temple city, it says they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. One of the things that I pray for my daughters every night is the uh, what's called the ironic blessing, not the Ironic blessing. I mean it when I pray it. I'm not like, bless you. I really mean it. And it's also what I pray for your children or anybody who comes up for a blessing at communion. The blessing is this. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. To be face to face with God is to know his grace, his peace, his love. What's interesting in the book of Numbers where that blessing is, after God has instructed the priest to give that blessing, it has this verse so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. That's what John is thinking about here. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads, that we will be blessed. How do we know that we're blessed? Not just because there's a river of life, not just because everything that we do in that city is worship, but because we'll see his face. That's what we're made for. We're made to see the face of God. Sometimes... You hear people say, I don't really want to go to heaven. It sounds boring. All we're going to do is worship. Yeah, all we are going to do is worship. But Jay and I are going to be the ones that are out of a job in the New Jerusalem, not you guys, because what we do is just symbolic of work itself. Everything that you do will be in the city and what we, I don't know what we'll do. So yes, when you get to heaven, you will worship because you will work not just so that you have a job and be tired and all that, because nothing is accursed. It won't be toil. It will be worship. So why does any of this matter? It's a nice vision. I'd like to go there. I want to go to there. Do you want to go to there? I hope you do want to go to there. But is that enough? What is that, how does that affect us now? The scholar, uh, Peter Lightheart, he makes this point about the, new t- the way the New Testament encourages us, encourages us and exhorts us. And one of the things that he says is that there's two primary ways that the New Testament try to sort of spurs us on. One is sort of be what you are statements, which is you are redeemed, you have been cleansed, you are justified. But the other kind of statements are be what you will be statements. <laughs> Live out of the abundance of what you are moving towards. Because we believe that the kingdom is coming. It's in the midst of coming even now. We believe that the new creation is coming. It's even in the midst of coming now. And that through the work of the Holy Spirit, through us, in here and out there, new creation is coming in. Resurrection life is coming in. So if we can live what we will be, then we can live out of the reality now of being the bride. We can live out of the reality now of being the temple, and we can live out of the reality now of being the garden. To live out of the reality of the bride means that we know that we are made for relationship with God, that we are made to be united with him, that we are made to be face-to-face with him. This touches our spiritual life. This touches the need for prayer. This touches the need for silence and contemplation, simply abiding in the presence as the beloved in the presence of the lover, the bride abiding in the presence of the groom. To be the temple means that we say, yes, we are made to worship, but that we expand our definition of worship from beyond what we do in here, that we see our work as worship, that we see everything that we do and everything that we are as something that has been given to us that we then lift back up to God in praise and thanksgiving. That's what it is to make your work worship. And third, to be the garden means that we remember that we were made to be fruitful, that we were made to walk with God, and that we were made to be face to face with him, that we were made to behold him. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about the vision and values of St. Bart's. And it's, a lot of it is tied up with this idea of seeing God, and what it is to see God and what happens when we behold God is that we become like him. That that's the promise of the New Testament is that we, with unveiled face, gaze upon the glory of the Lord and then we are transformed by one degree of glory to the next from that. So this vision of a heavenly city is not just something that's out there. It's something that can break in even now and it can change the Dallas that we live in if we can go out and live like the bride, if we can go out and live like we're the temple, if we can go out and live like we're the garden, then Dallas will change. I guarantee you. Because the way that we relate to our work, the way that we relate to our money, the way that we relate to our time, the way we relate to other people will be totally different than the way everybody else does that. I mean, the new... Dallas would probably just be a cube that is North Park and everything that is North Park is Dallas, right? If that's what we would think of the heavenly Dallas, but that's not God's hope for Dallas, right? That's one reason I love being here because there isn't this division between the natural and the built. We're, we're, it's like we grew up out of the ground right here, <laughs> that God planted planted a church and it sort of grew up in the midst of these trees. Imagine that. But that's a vision too of what God wants for us, that these divisions would break down, the division between the sacred and the secular, the division between the natural and the built and all the other divisions that we raise up and all the blind ways that we sort of walk through life. So the exhortation is, be what you will be and what you will be is the bride. Be what you will be and what you will be is the temple. Be what you will be and what you will be is the garden. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for this vision. We thank you for images and metaphors that don't get us all the way there, but they, they help us, Lord. And they fill us with hope. They fill us with expectation. So Lord, I pray that as we go forth from here, that we would see our lives as acts of worship, that we'd see ourselves as those who are made to be in union with you. And we would see ourselves as those who are blessed and those who are called to be fruitful and multiply. And we ask this in the name of your beloved son. Amen.